Open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 37. And be patient. We're going to cover some ground before we get there, but we'll get there in a minute. I remembered something this week, and I experienced something this week that I haven't for some time. The seriousness of life. In in my former church, when I would go out as a chaplain with the police department, the fire department, I encountered those situations regularly. A couple of hundred times, I was... I was there at some of the worst moments of life. And this week, again, I heard a man talk about the very real possibility of his own death. I heard him talk about the swift change in his life from the normal, busy week, family, play, day-to-day, normal life, to hospital bed. Weakness, double vision, uncertainty, burden for family. I heard his wife talk about going from full speed family, school, events, to all stop, waiting. Living in the moment, the time of waiting. I saw the tears and the love and the hope of husband and wife for God's will. And God's purposes to be accomplished. And I sensed the peace of God. I prepared ahead. I sensed the peace of God with them. I tell you, it was a holy moment. Because I did not perceive them to be something, but I perceived their God to be something. We will all face the larger hardships of life sooner or later. But what is so vitally important for us as we consider how we think is that we face a host of smaller challenges every day. And the way you face the small things will be the way you face the large things. And you will either face them with peace and joy from the Lord as we just sang about in that great hymn Or you will live your life consumed with worry and anxiety and turmoil of soul. I want to look into God's Word today and try to encourage you to think more like Christ and therefore be at peace, whether it be a small thing or a large thing that is intruding in your life. So I want to ask the question today as we begin, what is worry? 
The Bible uses the word worry. It also uses the word anxiety. It's the same word, and it's used several times. And the word means to be drawn in different directions. The root word is the word care or concern. And so we might define the Bible word worry this way, to have multiple concerns that are pulling at us for, for attention. And here's a couple of examples of how that word is used. You're familiar with this one, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. That's the New King James translation. You could put the word worry in there. Don't worry. You could also say this. Don't be concerned and pulled in various directions about anything. This one you're familiar with. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life. How can God tell us not to worry? Well, there are some specific things that God says we should not worry about. And this, this gets even more challenging as we look at those. Here's some specific things. First of all, he says, don't worry about the, your life needs. And that's defined in Matthew 6.25. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Don't be full of concern about this, God says. There's a much greater concern these days, in these uncertain economic times, about the needs of life than there was a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, who went around thinking, boy, I might get laid off soon. Boy, you know, life is uncertain. Boy, I don't know where my next meal is coming from. Nobody. But a few changes here and there, and now we're greatly concerned about our life needs. And then there is this saying that people will often use, at least you have your health. You have your health right up until the point until you don't have it. But God says, don't worry about the stuff of your life. He also says, don't worry about your physical appearance. That's why I almost didn't shave today. I had to shave yesterday because it was the wedding reception, you know. And uh, Saturday's a day off, you know, come on. But he says, look, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Your cubit, you know, is a foot and a half. He says, look, can you really change yourself just by thinking about it? No, you can't. Now, today, of course, there are other ways to change your appearance. Saw a thing on the news yesterday about a, a woman who has spent a million dollars on plastic surgery. A million bucks. I have a friend who used to say that life is extremely unfair because his acne cleared up just in time to get wrinkles. <laughs> I don't think there's a person on the planet who is completely happy with their entire physical appearance, except for Christians who come to grips with this. But there's a tendency to worry and to fret about our physical appearance. You know, this one here really could just be the whole category in some ways. What do we worry about? God says, don't worry about the future. Matthew 6.34, he says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um... You know, what is the future of my job? Will this relationship work out? Will I get into the right college? Will I be able to live comfortably in retirement? 
and on and on about the future. This category really could cover it. But there's another broad area of concern mentioned. Uh, the word worry isn't used, but I think you'll understand that it's an area of worry in Psalm 127. And that area is the family. And he says this in Psalm 127, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain or empty or useless for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. He goes on to talk about children being a blessing from the Lord, but clearly he infers that a common way people act toward their family is to get up early and to stay up late and to work, work, work. Oh, because all of this depends on me. And he says, look, God gives his beloved sleep. He lets you rest. So don't worry about your family. Oh, I'm glad I had children when I was young because I see all the dangers that lie in front of my four grandchildren. I mean, falling down the stairs could change the rest of their life. There's plenty of things to worry about. You know, children drowned regularly throughout the summer in kiddie pools. There's all kinds of things to be worried about. I thought my kids were supposed to move out and then we'd be fancy free. There are so many concerns that compete to occupy space in our minds. Things pull us. That's what this word means. I'm pulled by all these concerns. And so what must we think in the Lord in order to live in peace? Well, let's start in Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Verse 2, for they shall, they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Man, I love that phrase. Delight yourself also in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Now I understand that this psalm is about a targeted area of worry. In other words, he says, look, there are times in our lives when we look around and say, there's a wicked man and he's prospering and that's not fair because I'm a righteous man. And so I understand that this is about a particular area of struggle that we have. But I think the principles are much broader than that and they apply to all of the areas of worry. And I think you'll understand that as we work our way through. And so the first thing that we must think if we are going to have the mind of Christ about the concerns of our life is this, I must think rightly about God. I must think rightly about God. First of all, God is in control. Over and over here, he says, trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord. The word for Lord here is, is the word that means the supreme God, if you will. What kind of God 
are you praying to? What kind of God are you worshiping? Now, I know that's a, that's a crazy thought for us Trinitarian folks. <laughs> well, I'm praying to the God, of course, Pastor Dave. Yes, but what is your perspective on him? What's your perspective on him? The old song says, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Is that the God you're praying to? The one who says, I see that bird, that one little stupid sparrow. We have a stupid one that's been trying to break into our house. (laughs) Through that giant window on the front. God in heaven shaking his head. You'll come on, dude. <laughs> Just like he says to you. But he knows you. He sees you. He is in control. Look at this. What should we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Is that the God you're praying to? You know, the ten foot tall guy that's walking beside you that nobody can get through? That's, that's what David keeps saying over and over. He says, oh, trust in the Lord. Look to God. Because not only is God is in control, but he cares. God cares for us. Look down to verse 23 of this psalm. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights. God delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Now God doesn't say here that everything's going to go smoothly for the man who follows him. But he says, look, I am engaged, I am caring, I'm there, I'm going to take care of you. God cares for us. In Matthew 6.32, we read that our Father knows we have needs. This is clearly implying that God is a caring Father. Think with me for a minute about a little child like, like my grandson Malachi, who as soon as the church is over, you should get to the food before him. <laughs> because he eats with two hands, that guy. But you know what he never does? He never gets up in the morning and goes, Hey, Mom and Dad, are we going to have food today? What about tomorrow? You think we're going to have food tomorrow? What about next week? I know the city of Bellingham has been laying off some people. Dad, is your job secure? No. What does he do? He gets up in the morning and says, Feed me! (laughs) And my daughter puts food in both of his hands, and he eats, and he plays. Because he is a child with a father. Could it be that our problem is we don't remember that we're children of the Heavenly Father? We know that He is a caring Heavenly Father, but do we remember that we are children? 
And children don't get up in the morning and say, oh, what's going to happen tomorrow, God? What about next week? What about the month after that? That's the way we live our life, though. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen. And God says, look, I'm your father. You just be the child today. You just get up and eat, and you go out to work or play or whatever it is you have before you, and I'll take care of this other stuff. Trust in the Lord. Look at that phrase. Boy, you need to underline that one phrase there. Um, Feed on his faithfulness. Verse 3, the last part of verse 3. Feed on his faithfulness. Is God faithful? Has God been faithful in your life? Has God done anything for you? It's, It's like this verse here. When he says, don't worry, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Why did he throw that in there? It's because when you are struggling with some concern, you need to stop and go, wait a minute. Have I eaten for 53 years? Yep, quite well. Well, has God been faithful to me? Yes, he has. Has there ever been a time that I didn't have a roof over my head except when those times I planned to be outside? No, there's never been a time. Has God been faithful to me? Yes. Has God provided the oxygen that I breathe? Yes. Has God provided for my needs? And we go on and on and we can look at the big and the small. We recently took a family picture uh, in front of the rev wagon and uh, that when we were down in Tuckwillow and, and I ha- we have this wonderful picture. It's in my office. I'll be glad to show you with with all three of our kids and their families and, and Sue and I. And she came in today, you know, Father's Day, and said, what a great heritage we have. I said, amen. What a great heritage we have. Has God been faithful to me? Yes, he has. Is that because I'm great? No, that's because he is great. Feed on his faithfulness. When we get into times of worry, we feed on the potential problem. Oh, this could happen and that could happen and the other could happen. Yeah, that's all true. Why do you want to feed on the possible problems? Feed on the faithfulness of God. Feed on the faithfulness of God. God cares. Uh, Number three, God is working. God is working. Look at verse five. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He will bring it to pass. What's that phrase talking about? He's saying, look, God's at work. Did God all of a sudden take a holiday in this particular problem you're in? Absolutely not. He was working before it, and He'll be working after it, and He's working here right now. Trust in the Lord, and He will bring it to pass. Now, does that mean God's going to do everything you ask him to do? No. No, it does not. But it does mean that God is at work accomplishing his purposes in the world. Boy, one of the things that so blessed me this week when I I sat with Rod and Marianne after the diagnosis was, was Rod talking about wanting God to use this illness if God should heal him. Wow. God will bring it to pass. God God didn't go to sleep. God's at work. Now, he may not be doing what you think he should do, but he's at work. One of the greatest verses in the Bible is Genesis 50, verse 20. 
But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, if you don't know the story, if you don't remember the story, it's the story of a guy named Joseph sold into slavery as a teenager because of the jealous hatred of his brothers. Forced to live in a foreign land. Put into jail because of false accusations. Left in jail because of self-centered forgetfulness. Elevated to a position of authority and respect. Used of God to save a nation and his own clan because he trusted the hand of God in his life. Was God at work all through Joseph's life? Yes. Do you suppose Joseph woke up in the jail some days and wondered what God was doing? I think he did. But he kept on trusting. Joseph is never rebuked in the scriptures. And at the end of his life, we see what's going on. He says, look, he's talking to his brothers who sold him into slavery to begin with. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Do you know what? This is a microcosm of what's going on in the world today. Satan means it for evil, but God can turn it to good. I don't know where Rod Brudwick's cancer came from, and I don't know where your problems come from. But no matter what their source, God is at work, and God wants to bring good from it. But... If we don't see that and live in that, we will live in the stomach-churning worry. And the result will be a frown and discouragement. And all the people around you will be turned away from God instead of to God. God was at work in Joseph's life. But instead of allowing himself to be consumed with worry and developing ulcers and panic attacks and bitterness, Joseph kept on trusting God and living righteously. And God accomplished great things through him. What he says here is to save many people alive. The whole nation of Egypt and all of the people of his clan and no doubt others around the area were saved alive because God allowed, Joseph allowed God to use him. Now, friends, one of the things we have to remember is God's ways are not our ways. Do you know what? God might be right now working on some stuff in your life and the circumstances of your life because down the road, he's going to do something incredible. And, and people will look down the road and go, wow. But the faithfulness for us has to be here when it, when nobody sees and nobody knows and we get up every morning struggling with stuff, we have to go, wait a minute, God's at work. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to do something great. We have to see God. We have to think about God rightly. Secondly, we have to think rightly about worry. And the first thing we have to understand is this, worry is a sin. I don't know if you've called it a sin or not, Sometimes with these little pet sins, like white lies and worry and sharing prayer requests, that is gossiping, we like to diminish the sinfulness of them. 
But Philippians 4.6 says, do not worry. Matthew 6.31 says, do not worry. Look at verse 7 and 8 of, of Psalm 37. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently. Do not fret. Do not fret. Verse 8, do not fret. Anxiety is not an optional lifestyle choice. Well, I know I worry. That's just the way I am. It is, that's an accurate statement. That is just the way you are, but it is not just the way you have to be. If you are in Christ, all, you are a new creation, all things can be new. And so what do you need to do when you find yourself worrying? Well, what you need to do is to confess your sin. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And when you find yourself chewing over things like you've always done, you need to stop and go, wait a minute, that is, don't use the word wrong. Use the word sin. Because then you're thinking like God is thinking. God's up in heaven. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? And if you are, you're saying, yes, this is a sin. And I confess it. To confess means to agree with God. I agree, God, the way I've been thinking is sinful. And I'm going to stop and I'm going to replace it now with righteous thinking. If I'm going to think rightly about worry, I must think that it is a sin. I must think that it is a waste. Look at here, uh, verse 8. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Look at Matthew 6. Which one of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Can you really change the world by worrying? No. You can't do anything by worrying. And so it is a waste of time. There's good time when you could be reading the Word. You could be praying to God. You could be memorizing truth to get new thoughts. But you're wasting your time worrying because it will not bring change and it will burn the daylight in your life. Number three, I've got to think rightly about myself. Look at Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a trick, you know. Do you see that? Delight yourself in the Lord, and if that's where your delight is, God will give you himself. If you really invest yourself in the Lord, all of a sudden your desires start to become more focused on what God desires. But if you consume yourself with your own comforts, no, those things probably won't happen. Andrew is getting ready to be a camp counselor. You get one hour off a day. Is it one hour or 90 minutes? What is it? One hour. You get one hour off every 24 hours. Literally. (laughs) The rest of the time you are expected to be on duty with the troops, doing whatever they're doing. Now, this week, that's a great adventure. He's all excited. Next week, it'll be okay. In about three weeks, he's going to be going, I'm going back to camp, man. (laughs) Pray for me, you know. But if he can get his mind onto what God wants to do at camp, then the joy of the Lord can become his strength. And it's the same thing that's true of all of us. When you get up in the morning, you might be sick, but God might want to do something through your life today. 
You might be busy, but God wants to do something. But because all you can think about is how terrible your life is. Sure enough, God doesn't do anything all day long. But if you could lift up your eyes and go, God, what do you want to do today? Man, I feel terrible. What do you want to do? And along that day, you may, you may just have a little holy moment yourself, and God may do something through you, and you'll go, man, this was a great day. But I guarantee you, if you chew and, and stew on all the difficulties of your life, it will be a lousy day just like the day before. You see, God says, my life's goal is supposed to be to bring God glory. My life's goal is not my own happiness, my own comfort, my own goals for what I'm supposed to be doing. My goal is supposed to be bringing God glory. You know this verse. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. This is one that I love. And the next one too. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And then this one, especially the last phrase. Now, when all things are made subject to him, when the Son himself will also be subject to him, who put all things under his feet, that God may be all in all. In your life, God is supposed to be all in all. And then out of that flow other sub-priorities. Yes, God wants you to love your family. Yes, God wants you to provide for your family. Yes, God wants you to love your kids. Yes, God wants you to do well at school, etc., etc. But it has to flow out of saying, my goal when I get up today is to glorify God. You know, years ago I I heard a, a, a godly older man who's a biblical counselor and was an emergency room physician and and uh, had been in private practice, and he said, what's your goal when you go to the doctor? What's your goal when you go to the doctor? I mean, I'll think about it. Uh, you, know, uh, I, I, you know, I've talked about this surgery just as an example. I go in, I've got a bum shoulder. I know it needs to be, you know, probably needs to have surgery. When I go in, my goal is to have a strong shoulder eventually, right? Is that what God's goal is? God's goal is for him to be seen. And and consequently, as I go in there and I find out my doctor's a Christian, and all I can think of is orthopedic surgeon, Togo, West Africa. And he doesn't know it, but I'm praying for him every day. And now I find out that one one of my friend's sons, who's also an orthopedic surgeon, is acquaintance with him. I'm praying for them both. Because frankly, I'd rather see them go over there and do some work than for me to get better. Now, what what do we, you know, frankly, when I heard that from that doctor, it just convicted me because every time I realized I was going to the doctor, trusting in medicine, not God, expecting to get well, and being disappointed when I went out the door with anything other than wellness. I'm just, I'm looking like this instead of looking like this. Saying, what does God want to do? Worry makes you look at yourself And be consumed with your own goals. Godliness says, what does God want to do? Boy, I I hope God does it through health. But if he has to do it through illness, okay. What do you want to do, God? My life's goal is to bring bring God glory. Is that your goal? Often we're anxious because the goal of our life is our own comfort. When God's glory is my goal, I don't have to control my world. 
Rather, I just have to cooperate with God's plans. Secondly, in thinking rightly about myself, my life's cares are to be given to God. And, and of course, uh, that's what Philippians 4, 6 is talking about. Instead of worrying, the contrast is prayer. About everything. And the word prayer is a broad word for talking to God. The word supplication is making a request. The word request is another word. There there are various words about prayer. Thanksgiving is another one. He says, look, when you feel concerned and drawn in different ways, it's time to pray. I've been working at practicing this at more times. I pray every morning and I pray for a while. And, uh, you know, there's some other times when I pray, but I'm trying to learn to pray every time I'm anxious. And one of the times I've, I've noticed that I'm doing better lately is, is early in the morning, especially on Tuesdays. You know, I come in and there's stuff laying, left over from Sunday and maybe there's a phone message and there's an email message and, and Sarah's bringing me stuff and, and, and I look at my desk and it's all full of stuff and I'm tempted to go, and I'm getting in the habit of every time I feel that way just to stop and go, God, here's the thing right here. Here's the thing right here. Here's the thing right there. There's the thing. There's the thing. Now, God, what should I work on? And you know what? It's so great to not have to, to hurry, scurry through my day. But it won't happen if I can't remember to give him my concerns. And, and, and really what this needs to be in your life, Christian, is a growing discipline that eventually pervades your life. And it just has to grow. Make some rules. Make some rules. I'm going to tell you about one at the end of the sermon today, but make a rule that you know every time this happens, I have to pray. Every time that happens, I have to. Make your own rule, not to be a legalist, but to remind yourself. Put a note. If, if there's a place where you get anxious, if... It, you know, maybe you're a nervous driver. Some of you are lousy drivers, I know that, but maybe you're a nervous driver. Put a note on there that says, did you pray? Or, or you know, if there's something else that you're worrying about, put a note there. Do something to remind yourself to do this. Because if you're living in, in anxiety, you're not praying enough. Because God says, look, I'm, I intend to give you peace. Oh, what a great privilege is ours. How about this thought? Will this help you? If you have time to worry, you have time to pray. Boy. Don't ever sit in front of my desk if, if, you're, on, if you're laid off, on vacation, or retired, and tell me you don't have time to read the Bible and pray. Huh? There's only one reason we don't have time. Now, we should have time anytime. But there's only one reason we don't have time, and that is we have not made it a priority. We have not made it a plan. We have not beat our body every day as the Apostle Paul did to say, I'm going to do this. If you have time to worry, you have time to pray. Worry is to be replaced with prayer. And here's a, here's a great one. Why would you talk to yourself when you could talk to the sovereign Lord of the universe, your heavenly Father, who wants to help you and can change your world? Why would you rather talk to yourself? How long should you pray about a concern? 
until you've prayed every last thought you have about that concern. I was facing a, a life choice many years ago, and I realized I prayed, and then I worried. Well, I'm running the options. That's not worrying, right? And all of a sudden I went, God, I should be praying all these thoughts to God. And so I did. Every thought that I had about this thing, it was a significant decision, affected a lot of people. And every one, I prayed every single thought. And then, then I got God's peace. Number three, my life's effort is to be directed at today. This is such an important principle if you've never grabbed it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He says, look, when you get up in the morning, you say, my goal is to glorify God by seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, what has God put before me today? I will do those things today. I will not be concerned about tomorrow. Now, I understand life insurance. I have life insurance. I have, I have a retirement account. I understand the thinking about tomorrow. But I don't, read, I don't read the stock exchange every day to see where my, my fund is. Boy, if ever there was a time to trust in God, it's now with your retirement fund. I cannot change that. What has God called me to do today? What does he want me to do today? What, is, what at my work? What at my home? What out there in the world? That's what I must direct my activity to. He says, therefore. You know when it, you see a word therefore, it always connects the previous thought to this one. He says, while you're seeking the kingdom of God, you don't need to worry about tomorrow. Just take care of today's business. Focus your life's effort on today's business rather than meditating on a possible tomorrow. I should give my concerns to God about tomorrow and seek to accomplish his priorities for my life today. Do you remember in what we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, here's how you should pray. Give us which day our daily bread? This day. Did he say pray for bread tomorrow? Give us this day our daily bread. It's appropriate to pray for God's provision today. I must live out God's priorities as a Christian, a husband, a father, a pastor, a friend, a counselor, etc. Today. I must deal with today's difficulties and trials today. No worry about what tomorrow will bring. Listen to this about Elijah. When Elijah feared for his tomorrow, remember last week we talked about him? When he feared for his tomorrow, he ran for his life. And when God confronted him, God said, what are you doing here? I have work for you to do. You're supposed to be up there at Jezreel talking to Queen Jezebel going, hey, Queen, let's do it. Come on. But all he could think about was, she's going to come down here and kill me. Do you know when the future starts? In the next minute. So the question is, what does God want you to do today, right now, right this minute? And what he wanted Elijah to do was to finish the job. He'd been on Mount Carmel. They'd slain the prophets of Baal. The people of Israel were in revival. And he wanted him to go down there to the capital and take care of the king and the queen and everybody else who refused to follow God. And, and instead, he ran for his life. And God said, what are you doing? There's work for you to do. 
And that's what God thinks about you when you waste your life worrying. He's going, what? there's stuff for you to do. Get up and do it. Look at the Apostle Paul, how he faced today. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased, that is to be you know, low and to have nothing. And I know how to abound and have everything. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. If God brings you to a time of abasement, of lowness, how do you learn to go through it? By saying, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Here I am. This is where he's placed me. It's okay. Maybe tomorrow it will be abounding. And when it comes to abounding, I will say, the Lord has given. Praise him and I will enjoy it. Maybe tomorrow it will be back to here. I don't have to fret and worry to get my life even constant I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when that hard time comes the response needs to be wait a minute I can do this I can do this because Christ is in me it's not going to be exactly like I want I can guarantee you what's going on today is not what Rod and Marianne want And I'm sure in your lives there are things going on that you don't want. But that's okay. You can still graciously learn the contentment of Christ as you say, okay, what do you have for me today? I will be content here today. When our kids were little and we'd go on a long trip, we used to say, you know, it was just like that thing on TV. We'd go, sit back, relax, enjoy the ride. We even made it into a little song, and that was really unwelcome. (laughs) Christian, sit back, relax, enjoy, joy, joy the ride. Because you don't know what blessing you might miss. Think about Elijah. If he had stood his ground up there with God in in Jezreel, he would have saw the deliverance of the whole country. But he he had to go and whine and be depressed and be suicidal and live in a cave. Really? That's how you want to live? Because what God intends for you is to be characterized by his peace. One of the greatest blessings of all. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Wow, that's the potential we have, is to live in the peace of Christ. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to live. But if you're going to live there, it's going to require you letting go of your own control and your own worry and those kinds of things. This is a note that came from Marianne on Friday. Please let everyone know how much we appreciate being held up by their prayers. It has helped. I feel strengthened today. Can't tell you what tomorrow will bring. Did you hear that? I feel strengthened today. 
I can't tell you what tomorrow will bring, but Rod is in the best hands possible. Swedish Hospital and God. Our church family is a terrific group of individuals that works together for the glory of God. There's power in that. Unspeakable power. So many of his promises are coming to light. I can't tell you what tomorrow brings, but God's in control today. Christian, you have the opportunity to live that way. Why wouldn't you? Heavenly Father, we want to pray for our brother and our sister and their family again. And say, please continue to uphold them. Please continue to to make yourself known to them in those small ways and in the large. And Father, we want to pray that we will face our next worry-inducing difficulty in the way that honors you. Help us to let you change us. I pray in Christ's name, amen.